The title of this morning's message is The Grace of Temperance. It's that time of year again. You know, the time of year when people make New Year's resolutions. And one of the most popular resolutions is to lose weight. The only problem with New Year's resolutions is that they have absolutely no power to help you actually keep the resolutions. Most resolutions are defeated within just a few weeks. We're almost at February. Most everybody has given up. <laughs> They're like, oh, that's not working. <laughs> the word resolution, according to Merriam-Webster's online dictionary, refers to making a resolute determination in order to answer or resolve a problem. It includes the idea of mental or moral strength to resist opposition, danger, or hardship. But it stresses a firm determination to achieve one's ends or goals. However, a resolution is very much like a law. <laughs> it can tell you what you must do, it just can't actually help you do it. <laughs> so what is the power needed to reach our weight loss goals or any other bodily related goals, like wanting to quit smoking or stop drinking? There's all kinds of things we can work on if we want to. The answer is, though, the power is temperance. So what is temperance? Well, according to the Webster's 1828 Dictionary, temperance simply means moderation. It does not mean abstinence. Because of the early temperance movement to get people to stop drinking alcohol, people think when you say temperance, you're saying you get nothing. <laughs> it's not abstinence, it's moderation. That's what temperance means. It means particularly the habitual moderation in regard to indulgence of natural appetites and passions. It also means to be restrained or moderate in your indulgence as temperance in eating and drinking. So it's the ability to stop ourselves from overindulging. It carries the idea of holding back our appetites and passions and not letting them get the best of us. Now, this definition doesn't tell us where we get temperance from. <laughs> it kind of sounds like it's an ability that we either have or we don't. And yes, I know people who have really strong willpower. They can willpower through almost anything. Most of us can't do it. <laughs> and I have heard of people say things like, I just don't have any willpower when it comes to fill in the blank. Chocolate, alcohol, smoking, pizza, drugs, candy bars, etc. And for believers, it's just not true <laughs> that we don't have any ability to overcome our flesh. It is a lie that we can easily embrace and believe and live out because it can feel true that we don't have any power. If you ask your flesh head if you have power, it will tell you no. <laughs> or if it's a bad day, maybe it'll tell you <laughs> just how rotten it thinks you are, <laughs> how weak you are. I looked up the word temperance in the online helps word studies dictionary, and it said this. Temperance in the Greek, in kratia. It has two subwords. One is in, in the sphere of, and kratos, meaning dominion or mastery. Properly, in the strictest sense, it means dominion within. And of course, it says it means self-control, proceeding out from within oneself, but not by oneself. I like that. <laughs> it proceeds from inside, but not from oneself. 
It says, for the believer, this word, self-control or spirit control, can only be accomplished by the power of the Lord. Accordingly, this word means true mastery from within. It is explicitly called the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Aha! <laughs> it's a fruit. It's not something that we come up with. Now, I take exception to the term self-control and spirit control. In the King James Version of the Bible, the term temperance, the term is temperance, not self-control. Now, the, the um, more uh, modern translations will use the term self-control. But we have to ask ourselves, <laughs> what is it we're trying to control? <laughs> is it that we're trying to control ourselves? Or are we trying to control something else? Temperance isn't actually self-control. It's flesh head control. <laughs> and nowhere in Scripture does it say that we are to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you Google control in the Bible, it's not there. Not in the New Testament. Because it's never God's idea to control a human being. We need to know that. God's not trying to control us. He wants to have a working relationship with us, but he will never make you do anything. If he was making people do stuff, he'd make everybody get saved. He doesn't do that. We are to be led by the Holy Spirit, not controlled. God has no desire to control us or to make us do what is good for us. Instead, he prefers to influence our heart to help us see the truth so that we can choose truth over deception. We can see these truths in Galatians chapter 5, beginning with verse 22. I have it for you in the Passion Translation. Verse 22 and 23 in the Passion. But the fruit. If the translators had used the word graces <laughs> instead of fruit, people would more easily understand this verse. Because people think that we are fruit producers. <laughs> we are not fruit producers. <laughs> we got nothing <laughs> apart from Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the producer of the fruit. But if we translate fruit into grace, it becomes a better working idea because grace enables. Grace is the Holy Spirit giving you power to do that which you're trying to do or accomplish. It is grace. That's what this fruit is. But the fruit or graces produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love in all of its varied expressions, joy that overflows, peace that subdues, patience that endures, kindness in action, a life full of virtue, faith that prevails, gentleness of heart, and strength of spirit. Never set the law above these qualities, these graces, for they are meant to be limitless. Now, in the book of Galatians, there's a lot about not putting ourselves under the law because the law is never meant to be our master. And so that's part of his idea here. <laughs> you don't want a master. We already have one. His name is Jesus and he's love. That's what we want to have at work in us. We don't want anything, not the law and not our flesh head, trying to be our master. <laughs> Verse 24, keep in mind that we who belong to Jesus, the anointed one, have already experienced crucifixion. 
for everything connected to our self-life was put to death on the cross and crucified with Messiah. Verse 25, we must live in the Holy Spirit and follow after him. Again, this is a paraphrase. We can get rid of must. <laughs> we live in the Holy Spirit. <laughs> okay? It's not something we have to make an effort to do. You just are. You are in the Holy Spirit. You are in Christ. You are. That's who you are. <laughs> so there's not, oh, I must try to be in the Holy Spirit. Live that way a long time. <laughs> we are not a good barometer of how well, <laughs> whether or not we are in the Spirit. Because the truth is we are always in the Spirit. We don't jump in and out of Jesus. <laughs> and he doesn't jump in and out of us. <laughs> so it is the working of the Holy Spirit in us that produces this thing called temperance or dominion from within, which is simply the ability to say no. That's it. <laughs> It's the power to say no thanks, <laughs> to say no to our physical bodies and their, its desires, all of which come from our flesh head. <laughs> I say this because we do not have an evil twin living on the inside of us. We do not have two natures. I do not have a good Valerie and a bad Valerie. I have one Valerie who's one with Christ. We have one new nature, and it is the very nature of God himself, because we're one with him. <laughs> we are one spirit with the Holy Spirit, and our spirit man isn't seeking to satisfy the lusts of our physical bodies. Our spirit man is not seeking to satisfy the lusts, the desires, that's what lust means, the desires of our physical bodies. It is our flesh head, <laughs> our very badly programmed brain <laughs> that tries to get us to satisfy God-given desires in a flesh-headed way, or it tries to get us to satisfy flesh-headed desires in very bad flesh-headed ways. For example, the week of Thanksgiving, I had ice cream twice <laughs> before I even got to Thanksgiving Day. I usually have ice cream maybe once a month, occasionally twice. I choose a low-carb version of ice cream because it's a healthier choice. But eating that much ice cream is, in a, such a short time period was unusual for me. So I was asking God, what is my problem? <laughs> What's with the ice cream cravings, God? <laughs> Twice in one week? What's wrong with me? The answer was revealed to me in the conversation that I had with my daughter. We were talking about comfort food and laughing that comfort food really does make you feel better <laughs> when you're under stress. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and we were under stress that week. At that time, we were on our way to pick up my dad to go and visit my mom's gravesite, which we knew would stir up grief and tears. We were, we were ready. So my daughter suggested that we take my dad out for ice cream afterwards because it was the one-year anniversary of my mom's passing. And then it dawned on me. It was the one-year anniversary of my mom's passing. <laughs> no wonder I wanted ice cream. <laughs> my brain had reminded me in a subconscious way that it was a sad and stressful time of year for me. Grief produces stress. 
Now, I was well aware of the time of year. I just wasn't putting it together with the ice cream cravings. Psychologists call this anniversary pain or an anniversary reaction. It's actually very common to experience some of the same kind of stress of a traumatic event on the anniversary of that event. So my brain was actually trying to help me process some of my grief over my mom going home to heaven. And my brain knew that my comfort food of choice was ice cream. Therefore, in an effort to comfort and soothe my stress, it gave me cravings for ice cream. Now, none of this was on a conscious level. It was just my brain trying to help me through a difficult time. Our brains like us to be happy. Our brains don't actually know <laughs> what it is we really need in order for us to be really happy. I was eating ice cream, but I wasn't happy about it. <laughs> and as soon as I put it together, I realized there wasn't something wrong with me. There was something wrong with my brain's idea of how I should handle grief. It was my flesh-headed brain, not some part of the real me that needed to be fixed or freed. Now, we obviously need our brains. <laughs> it would be nice if we could go around them, but, <laughs> but we also need to realize that not everything in our brain comes from the real us. As Paul reminds us in verse 24 of chapter 5, everything about our old self life was crucified. You see, now when I say self, I'm not talking about who I used to be. I have a new self. That's why I don't like the term self-control, because it's really Christ control. It's really love control. It's really God control. And I don't even like the word control. <laughs> so we are not trying to change our self. Our self is perfectly fine. Our brain, on the other hand, <laughs> maybe could use a little help. <laughs> Paul reminds us in verse 24 that everything about our old self-life was crucified, all of it, except the stuff in our brain. <laughs> the power of sin is no longer part of who I am. So that's not where my desire came from. The desire from ice cream came from my past experience, not from the indwelling Holy Spirit. The power of sin is no longer part of who I am. We need for that to turn on a light in our head. Sin is no longer part of who I am. Can I fall short of perfection? You will. <laughs> I will. We will. <laughs> Sin is not a part of who we are. But our brain still uses all of our natural understanding and our past experiences and even some of Satan's suggestions as our source of information for making decisions. Which is why... We need to remember who we really are in Christ. We are not what our brain can come up with. A few months ago, I bought a book called You Are Not Your Brain. <laughs> it's not actually a Christian book, oddly enough, but it is actually a book of psychology. And it's by a cognitive therapy and how that works. And so they are actually teaching people today, the light went on for them, that people are not their brain. <laughs> your brain can be a wreck. That doesn't mean you are. So they're teaching people, just because bad stuff is in your head doesn't mean you're bad. 
You got good stuff in your head doesn't mean you're good. That's your brain. And yes, we have to work through our brain. <laughs> but it amazes me that this book is full of so many Christian principles that we need to renew our mind. Is it something wrong with the way I think and believe? As believers, knowing and believing in the real us is paramount in overcoming our flesh-headed habits and beliefs. The real us operates in grace, the divine enablement. <laughs> we are divinely enabled with this thing called temperance, which is the ability to restrain our physical flesh and our flesh-headed thinking. We have, right now, I already have, dominion from within. I just need to exercise it by faith. We just need to realize that that is the truth of who we are. We are not failures or weaklings or prisoners just because we haven't yet been able to walk out this truth in our physical life. But the truth is, what we really are is free. What we really are is loved. What we really are is fully empowered by God himself. The Apostle Paul, throughout the book of Galatians, loves to remind his readers of who they really are. <laughs> because in Christ, we actually are free men. We are free from the demands of the Old Testament law for right standing with God, and we are free from the dominion of indwelling sin through our crucifixion with Christ. This is one of his big points. We are free. <laughs> we have become Brand new spiritual beings, born in the very likeness of God. And God wants us to live as free-born sons of God. Now, we can't actually do that if we don't know and believe the truth of our new creation identity. If I think I have to crucify myself every single day because my old self is just such a mess, <laughs> out of control, then we will just keep fighting with our flesh head, never knowing that it's really the problem. There's nothing wrong with who we are. We have to understand what happened to us. God killed us off and started over, and there's nothing wrong with the new model. <laughs> As part of our new creation identity is that we have temperance, dominion from within. We can say no by the power of God that lives in us. We have dominion within that keeps us from having to bow to the dominion from anything outside of our spirit. That means I don't have to bow to my flesh head. I don't have to bow to a craving. I have dominion. I'm a free spirit, and I can live out of my freedom. So the Apostle Paul explains to his readers that sons of God, identity, he's all about identity, that sons of God do not need the Old Testament law as a governor because they have a new governor, <laughs> God himself living in us through the Holy Spirit. People get really upset when you tell them you don't need the old covenant law, not for righteousness. Now, you, there's lots of good information, <laughs> but it's not our master. Just because we don't put the law over us doesn't mean we don't have a governor. We do. God's life himself, Holy Spirit himself. We can see this in chapter 4 of Galatians, beginning with verse 1 and ending in verse 10. And I have it for you in the Passion Translation. Verse 1. In a similar way, God has promised our ancestors something better. 
But as long as an heir, and that's what we are, is a minor, he is not really much different than a servant, although he is master over all of them. For until the time appointed by the father when he comes of age, the child is under the domestic supervision of guardians of the estate. And so it is with us. When we were juveniles, we were enslaved under the hostile spirits of this world. But when that era came to an end and the time of fulfillment had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the written law. Yet all of this was so that he would redeem and set free all those held hostage to the written law so that we could receive our freedom and a full legal adoption as his children. Adoption in those times did not involve babies. <laughs> they had trouble keeping babies alive, but you didn't go around adopting other people's babies. The only reason for an adoption was to have a legal adult heir who could take your business and your property and continue on with it. So our full legal adoption is that we are placed as sons in the God and Son's business. <laughs> That's part of our identity. We are full adult sons and we have all the power and authority of our Father. And we have all of His freedom as well. Verse 6, And so that we would know for sure, I love that part, <laughs> And so that we would know for sure that we are His true children, God released the spirit of sonship into our hearts, moving us to cry out intimately, My Father, you're our true Father. 7. Now we are no longer living like slaves under the law, but we enjoy being God's very own sons and daughters. And because we are His, we can access everything our Father has. For we are heirs of God through Jesus the Messiah. Verse 8. Before we knew God as our Father and we became His children, we were unwitting servants to the powers that be, which are nothing compared to God. Verse 9. But now that we truly know him and understand how deeply we're loved by him. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> but now that we truly know him and understand how deeply we're loved by him, why would we, even for a moment, consider turning back to those weak and feeble principles of religion as though we were still subject to them? Verse 10. Why would we want to go backwards into the bondage of religion, scrupulously observing rituals like special days, celebrations of the new moon, annual festivals, and sacred years? That's what the law was. Demand. You supply the obedience and God will supply the blessing. <laughs> and God never wanted it to be that way. That's what they wanted. So why would we want to go back to living under the dominion of demand when we can live as God's dearly loved sons under the dominion of our Father's full supply. It's all ours in and through Christ. Paul knew that he needed to convince his readers that everything they needed for life and godliness was to be found within themselves in and through their new creation identity. The Galatians were struggling because they had moved away from their new creation identity in their thinking. Paul came in and told them, you're crucified with Christ. You're a brand new creation. They go, yay! And then the Judaizers come in and say, but, but, <laughs> you may be a new creation, but you're still lacking. The Judaizers had convinced them that they were still lacking what was necessary to be truly approved of 
and accepted by God. This is the religion of the church. You're saved, but you're not completely acceptable. And the little church that I was in, I wasn't actually completely saved. <laughs> you got saved in stages. <laughs> so you have a really messed up identity. <laughs> well, am I saved or am I not saved? Am I a son of God or am I not a son of God? Do I get thrown out of the family when I fall short of perfection? Yeah. <laughs> God's mad at you. Go to your room. <laughs> Make yourself right, because you're messing up. <laughs> That's the religion of the church. And this is what was happening to the new believers in Galatia. They were considering, because of the Judaizers, considering becoming circumcised in order to make themselves more right in God's sight. Because of Jesus, if I'm right with God, surely there's something that I can do to become more right. <laughs> That's the religion of the church. Always telling you you're right, but not quite. You're saved, but not quite. You're loved, but not always. You're approved, but not always. That's religion. And that's what Paul was fighting against. The truth was that they were already right with God, and they could not get any more right with God by anything they did. But they embraced the false identity that the Judaizers created for them the identity of their old nature and their old religion, the identity of you are not enough. You must do something to make yourself enough. And unfortunately, our flesh head will tell us the same kinds of things regarding our New Year's resolutions or our weight loss goals or our desire to make healthy changes in our lives. You are not enough. You just can't do it. We've told ourselves probably that way too many times, and it's not true. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Our flesh head will tell us things like, you are not enough, you don't have enough discipline, you've failed before and you'll fail again. You must do something to make yourself strong enough. You must make promises to God, because that'll give you power. If you just promise God to try harder, to do better, that'll do it for you. I know, I know, let's hate our weight or maybe hate our habit, or maybe even hate yourself, because that will give you the power to succeed. You must put your favorite foods and drinks and habits on the proverbial altar and give them to God as a sacrifice, because that will make you strong and successful. That will give you temperance. Not. <laughs> I know, I've done them all. <laughs> it's a big fat lie. I am enough. I have enough power to do whatever God calls me to do and to walk out what he's calling me to walk out. Because hate is not the power to change. So many ministers told me in my early days, if you just hate sin enough, you'll stop. So the power to change must be hate. Not. <laughs> and then they said, if you're really sorry for sin, You'll stop. That must be the power to change. Being sorry. Not. <laughs> this kind of thinking is religious. Religious thinking convinces us that we have to do something in our own strength to make ourselves into what God wants us to be. But righteous thinking convinces us 
that God, by his grace, has already made us what he wants us to be in and through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and the indwelling Holy Spirit. And now we are simply learning how to walk consistently who we are from our new identity out into our life through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's pretty much what the Apostle Paul answers to the, his own question in Galatians regarding them wanting to return to the Old Testament laws for righteousness and God's approval. We can see this in chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Again, the Passion Translation. Passion Translation just cracks me up sometimes. I like it. <laughs> Paul says, let me be clear here. <laughs> I like that. Let me make this clear in case you're missing the point because you are. Let me be clear. The Anointed One has set us free. Not partially, but completely and wonderfully free. We must always cherish this truth and stubbornly refuse to go back into the bondage of our past, the demands of the law and the demands of sin. Verse 2. I, Paul, tell you, if you think there is benefit in circumcision and Jewish regulations, then you are acting as though Jesus, the anointed one, is not enough. Wow. <laughs> then you are acting as though Jesus, the Anointed One, is not enough. Verse 3. I say it again emphatically. If you let yourself be circumcised, you are obliged to fulfill every single one of the commandments and the regulations of the law. If you want to be made holy by fulfilling the obligations of the law, you have cut off more than your flesh. You have cut yourselves off from the Anointed One and have fallen away from the revelation of grace. Now, this scripture can sound a little scary sometimes, <laughs> but it's really not. The words translated cut yourselves off literally means to not make use of, to render idle. That's all that it means. <laughs> if you have Jesus, you cannot cut him off, although you cannot make use of him. You can try to live in your own strength. That's his point there. Paul's point is that we can't be made holy or righteous <laughs> by both Jesus and the law <laughs> because they are in competition with one another. One is self-works and self-effort, and the other is faith and confidence in Jesus alone. It's either all of one or all of the other, but not both together. Verse 5. But the Holy Spirit convinces us that we have received by faith the glorious righteousness of the Anointed One. We have received by faith our new identity as empowered sons of God who can rule and reign over our natural fleshhead or our natural physical bodies. Verse 6. When you are placed into the Anointed One and joined to Him, circumcision and religious obligations can benefit you Nothing. <laughs> All that matters now. I love that. All that matters now. Forget about Moses. All that matters now is living in the faith that is activated and brought to perfection or completion by love. I like this verse also in the King James, which says, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision nor uncircumcision availeth anything but faith which worketh by love. 
The word availeth in the Strong's Concordance means to have or exercise force. It means circumcision has no power or effect. Uncircumcision has no power or effect. It does nothing. They are equally nothing <laughs> because they are self-effort. <laughs> so Paul is saying that the keeping of religious laws has absolutely no power to bring forth righteousness, holiness, or temperance, which is our dominion from within. It's the grace, the divine enablement of the Holy Spirit that enables us to love who we really are the word worketh in this verse, according to the Strong's Concordance, means to be made active and efficient. It says our faith which worketh <laughs> by worketh, <laughs> by love. <laughs> the word worketh means to be active and efficient. So if we want our faith to be active and efficient, if we want our faith to do what it's supposed to do, we have to receive the love. Faith is a gift and the love is a gift. It's all of him and not of our flesh. The gifts of faith and love are the powers at work in us by the Holy Spirit that brings forth the fruit or the changes that we desire, both in our behaviors and in our lives. And it all begins by remembering who we really are. We are dearly beloved, born again, adult sons, full of the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. We are righteous, we are holy, and we do have temperance. We have the ability to say no to our flesh head and its desires and passions. We can choose to live from our true identity, empowered completely by the Holy Spirit and our Father's love for us. Now, that being said, the Apostle Paul does insert a word of caution. <laughs> he realizes that when you tell new believers that they are free from the laws of do's and don'ts, they might misunderstand. <laughs> they might think, whoopee, we get to do anything our stupid flesh and a brain can come up with. <laughs> Which, of course, is not what Paul was saying at all. We can see this in beginning in verse 13 of chapter 5. He always starts with identity. Beloved ones. He didn't say you dirty rotten scoundrels. Too bad <laughs> you can't control yourself. <laughs> no, beloved ones. God has called us to live a life of freedom in the Holy Spirit. Freedom from the demands of the law and freedom from the indwelling dominion of sin. He goes on, but don't view this wonderful freedom as an opportunity to set up a base of operations in the natural realm. I love that. <laughs> because we do. Before we got saved, we were always living out of our natural nature. When we get saved, we realize there's a dichotomy here. Wait, I'm saved, but these thoughts, where do those thoughts come from? Do they come from the me? And see, and people think, yeah, that I must have thought that. I must, that must be my suggestion. That must be what I want to do. No. <laughs> there's a dichotomy. Our brain will come up with its own ideas and suggestions based on our past. Our brain doesn't know the truth of the Spirit. It has to be converted. <laughs> little by little, we have to renew it, little by little. So we don't live, we don't have a base of operations in our flesh yet. It, our base of operations is in our spirit. The natural realm of our flesh-headed brain doesn't want us living from our flesh-headed brain. 
God doesn't want us living from our flesh-headed brain. He wants us to live from our true identity empowered by the Holy Spirit. Freedom means that we become so completely free of flesh indulgence that we become servants of one another, expressing God's agape love in all we do. You know, I think of the, and when he says servants, it is the same word for bondservant. We are the Lord's bondservants. Another way to understand that is, I am a slave of love. That's how James puts it in the, trans, in the Passion Translation. We are love slaves. That is our driving force. Love, agape love. So he says, this freedom, we are free from sin, and we are free to love. That's our base of operations. Verse 14, for love completes the laws of God. All of the law can be summarized in one grand statement. Demonstrate love to your neighbor, even as you care and love yourself. Now, the problem with this verse is that not everyone truly loves themselves the way they should. And that's because they don't see themselves in their true identity in Christ. For years, I hated the way I looked because I weighed more than I wanted to. And losing weight was hard for me just because of my physical and chemical makeup. I hated myself so much that I actually cut myself out of all my family photos. That's because I had an identity problem. I thought I was weak. I thought I was a failure. I thought hate was the power to change how I looked. And I thought being sorry was the power to change my choices. And I thought these things because that was what I was taught by religion. But what I've come to find out is it's grace. It's grace that provides the power to change what I do. It's divine enablement of the Holy Spirit that gives me the power to restrain my flesh-headed ideas and desires. It's knowing the truth about who I really am that empowers me to do what I really want to do, to make better and healthier choices. As a born-again, spirit-filled son of God, I don't need to change who I am. I am one spirit with, my, with God, my Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. What I need is to change my mind. I need to see and believe the truth about what God has made me to be by his grace. And I need to understand that it's only his grace that empowers me to be successful at anything. We can see this truth in Titus chapter 2, beginning with verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly or temperately, exercising temperance, live that way righteously and godly in this present world. I love verse 12 because it begins with the word teaching. God's grace teaches us or instructs us on how to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. It is a skill that we learn, <laughs> empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, when we are learning a new skill, like playing an instrument, in the beginning, it's very deliberate. <laughs> Slow going, and you make a ton of mistakes. It can seem really hard at first, but the more we practice, the more adept we become at playing the instrument. And so it is with temperance. 
the more we purposely practice our temperance, our dominion from within, which is our divine ability to say no to our flesh-headed thoughts and our physical desires, the better we get at it, and the less we make the mistakes of giving in to our flesh-head. This is something I've been working on with the Lord for a while, practicing discerning the thoughts of my flesh-head versus discerning my own spirit-filled thoughts that come from the real me. It's just like the ice cream thoughts on the anniversary of my mom's death. Those thoughts came from my brain, trying to make me happy during a sad time. Now, there's nothing wrong with eating low-carb ice cream a couple of times in one week, except that's not what the real me actually wanted to do. I don't like it when my flesh head tries to take control of me through cravings, which is exactly what happens to me when I stop eating low-carb. My brain just literally jumps off the rails and runs amok, <laughs> trying to get me to eat more and more sugar. <laughs> and it becomes a real battle that I don't like to have to continually fight. And it's not imaginary. It's actually a common symptom of being pre-diabetic. And since I don't want to become a diabetic, I want to exercise dominion from within, which is the Holy Spirit-empowered temperance, which works by faith through grace and is motivated by agape love. The graces or fruit of the Holy Spirit are manifested by faith, by us acting on what we know is true about ourselves according to God, and not acting on how we feel emotionally or physically. Choosing to walk in temperance doesn't mean we will necessarily feel like walking in temperance. <laughs> it just means that the wisdom of God dictates that we keep in step with the Holy Spirit and walk in temperance. For example, over the holidays, I decided to treat myself to some gluten-free Oreo cookies. I haven't had an Oreo in the last 12 years because they normally contain gluten, and I'm sensitive to gluten, so this it's Christmas. Hey, it's Christmas. <laughs> it's time for some celebrating. <laughs> I thought, yeah, I'll just have a little treat. So I bought a package of gluten-free Oreos, and I opened them in my car. I figured I'll just snack on them while I run my errands. And when I tasted the first cookie, I was totally surprised. It tasted just like I remembered them tasting. I thought, this is delicious. <laughs> they taste just like regular Oreos. And then I thought, oh no, they taste just like regular Oreos. <laughs> I hadn't expected them to taste like the original cookie. <laughs> and by the time I got home, I eaten half the package. <laughs> so I decided that they were way too dangerous to keep in my house. So I threw them away outside. <laughs> and now nothing in my flesh head was happy about me throwing those cookies away. <laughs> but I didn't want that amount of sugar calling to me from the kitchen. You see, the real me doesn't want to be under the power of my flesh head. I don't want cookies ordering me around or calling to me from the kitchen to come eat them. <laughs> I want to be always under the influence and power of my Father's love through the Holy Spirit. The real me will always want to yield, to yield my members to my Father's love and desire for me. And his desire is that I should love myself and my body just as it is, <laughs> and choose to do only what is good for it. Our Heavenly Father's agape love for us 
is our motivation to use our dominion from within. When we understand how much our Father and our Jesus love us, it fuels our faith. We know and believe what the Word of God tells us about our new creation identity is the truth about who we are. We have been given the resurrection power and life of Jesus himself. We have the power, authority, and responsibility to say no to our flesh head. And yes, we have a responsibility to agape love our bodies. Agape love always chooses to do what is best for the one who is loved over what is best or convenient for the one doing the loving. So if I truly love myself the way my father loves me, I will not give in to my flesh head and let it have its own way because it can only lead me into corruption and destruction. And that is never my father's desire for me. Now we can see this truth in Galatians chapter 6, beginning with verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. There's a lot of teaching out there on the internet these days telling believers that they can eat whatever they want, whenever they want, and never reap the consequences of their choices if they have enough faith. <laughs> yeah, and they say, well, see, I'm, I'm so good at this faith thing, I can do this. And you can, you can learn to do it. You don't have to reap the consequences of your choices. They believe this will not hurt them, and they will not have to pay the consequences of what they choose. Of course, there's only one problem with that. Verse 8. <laughs> For the one who sows to his own flesh shall reap corruption from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit shall reap eternal life, or God's kind and quantity of life, from the Spirit. Now, we should not lose heart in doing well, because we who do not faint will reap in due time. So God says it's a, it's a law. We will reap what we sow. There is no faithing it away. <laughs> God gives us this gift called temperance. And then God says, don't, don't be deceived, thinking that you can make choices and avoid sowing and reaping. It doesn't work. Reaping will eventually come, either for the good or for the not so good. That's why it's so important for us to recognize what thoughts are from our spirit man and what thoughts just come from our goofy brain trying to make us happy for the moment. <laughs> our fleshy brain doesn't care if our choices bring corruption and destruction later on down the road. But our loving Heavenly Father does. He cares about our bodies and our futures, which is why he warns us of the damage that we can unintentionally do to ourselves and our lives by letting our fleshy brain have its own way on a consistent basis. God wants us to treat our bodies as if they are his precious possessions, because they are. We can see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. The Apostle Paul reminds the Corinthians that their bodies don't just belong to them. Verse 19, Have you forgotten that your body is now the sacred temple of the Spirit of the Holiness who lives in you? You don't belong to yourself any longer. For the gift of God, the Holy Spirit, lives inside your sanctuary. You were God's expensive purchase paid for with tears of blood. So by all means, then, use your body to bring glory to God. Our bodies are precious to God, and they should be also be precious to us. We only get one while we're here on earth. <laughs> and the truth is, we are sometimes better at loving others than we are at loving and taking care of ourselves. 
Our father isn't interested in taking away our favorite foods or beverages. He just doesn't want our favorite foods and beverages trying to take dominion over us and turn us into their slaves. So he has given us the grace, the divine enablement of temperance. Through grace, we have the God-given ability to say no to what we know is not good for us. And we also have the ability to say yes to that which is good for us. Through grace, we have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to have and exert dominion over our fleshy brain and our physical desires. Through grace, the divine enablement of temperance, we already have the power, authority, and responsibility to love and care for our bodies and to protect them from our goofy flesh-headed brain and our unhealthy physical desires. It is grace, our Father's absolutely free loving kindness to us, that teaches us how to deny our bodies stuff that doesn't, it isn't good for us, things that don't reflect the true identity of who we are in Christ. It is grace. This sounds like a thing, doesn't it? It is grace. <laughs> and the unconditional love of our Father that teaches us that we don't have to give in to any kind of worldly lust because we have been made free from the dominion of all sin. It is grace, the free favor of God, that teaches us how to live temperately, righteously, and godly in this present world. And it is by our Father's goodness and kindness that he has provided everything we need in order to overcome the false identities that have been formed in our minds. Our Father is always wanting to remind us of our true identity in Christ. He has already fully supplied us with the faith, the love, and the temperance that we need in order to glorify Jesus with our bodies. If we find ourselves wondering how to live out our new creation identity, or how to discern and overcome our flesh-headedness, or how to say no to delicious things like Oreos, <laughs> we need to only ask our teacher. He is loving and kind and patient, and he knows we're going to make a million mistakes. But he is more than willing to teach us the ways of grace and faith. And his name is Jesus. In closing, I do have a question for you. It's that time of year. <laughs> have you been thinking about making some changes in your lifestyle? Maybe trying to quit smoking or stop drinking? Or maybe you've been thinking of starting some new, healthier habits, like taking vitamins or working out. Perhaps maybe reading the Word of God more. Well, it's very likely that those thoughts are not from your flesh-headed brain they are probably more likely the gentle nudgings of the Holy Spirit who wants to teach us how to love our own bodies as if they were Christ's very own precious possession. Because they are. Philippians 2.13 says this, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do, according to his good pleasure. It's his idea, and it's his power that brings it work in us so that we can display Christ in everything we do. Whatever we eat or drink, we do for the glory of God, that others might see what Jesus is really like. Amen? Father God, I thank you for the truth of your word. It's so easy for us, like the Galatians, to forget who we really are and what we really have and what it is you actually call us to. You don't call us to diets or workouts or 
new habits. You call us to love. Most everybody I know has ever, at one time or another, been on a diet. And there's no power in a diet to help you actually fulfill it. But once we understand that our goal is not to fulfill a diet, but to glorify Jesus Christ and love his body. Our body is his. Father, you want us to honor our body like it's actually the body of Jesus, to love our bodies the way you love our bodies. Father God, so I, I thank you that that is our goal. Our goal is not to become something other than we already are, but to simply live out the truth of what we, you have made us to be, to love the way you love, to love ourselves the way you love us, and to love others the way you love us. Thank you, Father God, that our real goal is to love, to always bear in mind the precious price you paid to set us free from our sin nature and from our stupid flesh. <laughs> and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.